Welcome to Biblical Foundations, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Studies at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm your co-host, Jimmy Rowe, along with Dr. Andreas Kostenberger. Join us as we discuss issues in biblical scholarship for the church. Well, thank you very much, uh, Scott and, and Danny, for joining me today on the Biblical Foundations podcast. And thank you very much for your work, uh, both in the area of hermeneutics and also in the field of biblical theology. Uh, in this session, I'd like for us to talk about your uh, new book, God's Relational Presence, the Cohesive Center of Biblical Theology. Uh, so let me ask you first, uh, how did this book come to be? I know you talk about that in the introduction, uh, but for our listeners, what would be your intended audience for the book? And what is your basic thesis? My field is in the Old Testament, so I'm working in the, and then Scott's is New Testament, and then yes. we're colleagues, so we're in the same school and we're friends. So, of course, we're discussing our theology and things that we're finding uh, in, in the office and in the hallway. Yes. Uh, and I think we first started talking about, uh, you, you'll notice the Bible begins with uh, the presence of God in Genesis, and then it ends also in Revelation with the, with the presence of God. So we started having these conversations mm -hmm. uh, about that, uh, that thesis, since it's interesting how it starts and how it stops. Yeah. Uh, and then I think as we went on into other uh, studies, as our writing, Scott was writing in Revelation and I was writing in the prophets. And we continued to find, hey, this theme is is this big here, you know, in the prophets. And he said, hey, it's big here in Revelation. And so That's as right. we kept talking, we thought this is uh, this is this is something that might really be worth exploring as a as, as a central theme. Yes. And it's it's interesting because I teach a class on the book of Revelation. Danny teaches a class on the Old Testament prophets. And when students take both of those classes at the same time, uh, they come out talking about <clears throat> all of this uh, synergy mm -hmm. that's going on. And we've never had a single discussion about you know, the plan of those classes. So we, we thought something might be up here. It's great when the curriculum works hand in glove like that. And I also love the, the model that you set by working together across disciplines mm -hmm. and, and being friends and, and colleagues and writing together. I think there's a few teams like that. I think of uh, Paul House and Scott Havemon <laughs> and, and a few others. Mm -hmm. I think uh, it, it's it's on full display in the book as well. And then, you know, in a book like this, too, where we're trying to do a full-blown, big academic biblical theology, boy, it's tough to master both both fields. Exactly. And so it's it's great, you know, for me to stick with the Old Testament and yeah. Scott to cover the New Testament. And it's uh, it's it's a lot easier to, to, to master one of those fields and, yeah, not, I think and, our, and, not, and not both. Our listeners, you know, right out of the gate, when I started reading your book. I mean, you cite the Hebrew, you cite the relevant literature. So it is very accessible, but it, it's definitely a substantive contribution. I remember uh, D.A. Carson um, had a presentation at an ETS many years ago where he talked about a whole Bible biblical theology. And I think from that time on, you know, we've both been interested in something that that really relates to the entire canon. I agree. It's just um, hard to think of someone just writing an Old Testament theology by itself or even a New Testament theology by itself. Mm -hmm. So I, I agree. In some ways, you almost have to tackle the whole Bible because of the many 
intertextual and in a canonical connections. Yeah, it's beautiful, really. Yeah. So uh, your basic thesis in the book, and again, you 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 basically give us your thesis in the title, in the subtitle, but maybe you can elaborate a little bit more what you mean by biblical theology, what you mean by a cohesive center, maybe defining the terms a bit. Yeah. I, uh, to start with biblical theology, um, this is both a conviction of ours um, in terms of our faith, but also just an intellectual conviction that we must take history seriously. So <clears throat> I think biblical mm-hmm. theology really does pay attention um, to you know historical concerns, but we also take literature seriously. So we want to look carefully um, <clears throat> at the message of um, the Bible according to its own literary setting. Mm-hmm. And then there's this whole idea of theological synthesis. So I think the work is built on, you know, these three aspects of history, literature, and theology. Mm. Um, so that's, you know, that's at least a starting point for biblical theology. Mm. Yeah. And we're, you know, we are, uh, reading canonically. We want to be aware of the genre. We want to be aware of what this text means in, in each of these books, but we're also then reading as Christians, interested in theology. What is the theology for the church? How does this, where do we end up with with this? And so it was exciting to see the trajectories, the big the big trajectories from the Old Testament into the New Testament, uh, covering the whole scripture, but then also ending up with some very, very relevant uh, theology mm-hmm. as far as what does this mean? And then likewise, what's the purpose? Why why, you know, why, why creation? Why people? Why, why, why has God come? Why? And so it answers a lot of those big questions as well. Yes, connecting the dots between the, the, the biblical books. And uh, by, I think you do a great job in, in showing how God's relational presence really is, is uh, significant in, in, in each of the major, you know, building blocks of uh, of scripture so maybe it'd be helpful danny for you to get us started and get the ball rolling and kind of walk us sure, through you know sure. some of the highlights uh that you found like you said starting in genesis uh, yeah, you, you, the bible opens god's in the garden there with adam and eve there's a wonderful you know his presence is there in a, in a very real sense and and the opening story because of disobedience you know they get they get kicked out of the garden and mm-hmm. lose that presence and so most of the rest of the Bible is uh, is is restoring that, trying to move God's actions and His work, and how does He restore this presence so that He can have the relationship with uh, with people? Uh, and some of the big events, of course, uh, uh, He He makes this promise of presence uh, with uh, with the patriarchs, but then especially when you get into Exodus, God after He saves them out of Egypt, there at Mount Sinai, a huge event when God comes and defines the covenant uh, with three senses, I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and I will dwell in your midst. And that's a very big and unique uh, aspect and part of the covenant is his promise to really come here on earth and in a very real sense, dwell right among them. And so, of course, the whole second half of Exodus, is he going to dwell in our midst? He needs a place to stay. So now you got the tabernacle construction, and then you're in Leviticus, if God is really here and lives in that tent just right down the street from you uh, and is right there, the holy, awesome God, how do you approach him? How do you how are you going to worship him? How do you cover sin if he's right there, the holy, awesome God? 
That's the book of Leviticus is explaining all of these ways that we approach God here. And so Deuteronomy, you know, the terms by which you can live in the promised land with God in your midst. Uh, mm -hmm. the, he's right here living among you. So how do you continue to obey this? So this carries us you know, uh, from Deuteronomy and then on into the conquest. Uh, then, of course, later Solomon comes and builds the temple, and mm -hmm. uh, God, once again, his powerful presence crashes down into the temple uh, and lives uh, in the temple as he did in the tabernacle. Uh, and many of the Psalms are in this kind of setting, the concepts of God either in the tabernacle or in the temple, the presence of God. Uh, and then as the prophets uh, tell us that... Uh, uh, sin eventually is so offensive to God and what they're doing, bringing idols into the area is offensive, not just uh, to, uh, because of his presence, his holiness that is there. And then Ezekiel is going to tell us, 8, 9, and 10, uh, that God leaves, that sin gets so bad that he leaves the leaves the temple. I think this is a gigantic event uh, and, the, and the idea of the covenant, I'll live in your midst as a key part of that covenant. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what? A, a, after the departure of Yahweh there in Ezekiel, you know, the, the, the post-exilic remnant comes back, but I don't see any mention of God coming back in this kind of right. big and dramatic way. Then they're kind of just on hold with this expectation the prophets have promised a return of God's presence in a powerful way and and uh, the, uh, the promise of the Spirit in Ezekiel and Joel mm -hmm. and all mm -hmm. of these other trajectories about God's promise, Emmanuel, the special child. And then suddenly, you know, you turn the page and the presence of God returns and it's Emmanuel and Jesus shows up and walks in the gates and here's the presence. And I'll pass that off to Scott. Perfect, <laughs> Perfect segue there. <laughs> well, you know, as the incarnate son of God, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And tell Matthew begins his gospel. Um, so it's Jesus' presence among us um, that uh, fleshes out quite literally uh, what, mm -hmm. what that means for his people. And Jesus begins talking about kingdom. And now the kingdom is among you. Mm -hmm. Um and he has conflict with the demonic. Uh, he, um, you know, ushers in this 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 kingdom, this new covenant. He is the the new temple, and so he begins also talking about <clears throat> eschatological presence mm -hmm. um, with the messianic banquet and the coming judgment, and and then you have his sustaining presence. So you know, mm -hmm. Matthew closes his gospel. Uh, with with the words I will be with you always, and so you have that really cool inclusio in Matthew, mm -hmm. and then you move into Luke Acts, and <clears throat> you know, you have some of the same basic message in Luke that you would in Matthew and Mark, mm -hmm. um, but Acts opens this 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 whole uh, phase of the Spirit coming to dwell among us and yes. the people of God being the temple of the Spirit. Um, this new this new community and and also this this blessed hope again the eschatological presence and then Paul you know he he just covers so many dimensions uh, his incarnational presence uh, God's incarnational presence you have communicating the presence through the gospel you have uh, our union with Christ mm -hmm. Paul's one of Paul's primary emphases and his emphasis also on the Holy Spirit. Uh, huge emphasis on the people of God, um, 
And then Paul also has a robust eschatology. So then finally, John and Revelation, and you begin to see, Mm -hmm. uh, I think, some of these things really come into clear focus in John's writings. Um, And one one of the things that makes John so captivating for us is that what appears to be simple on the surface is actually very deep and complex, as you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, beginning with incarnational presence uh, with the word emphasized in chapter one, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and then moving through to sustaining presence, his emphasis on discipleship and the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, John also has a strong eschatological emphasis. And, and in the apocalypse or the book of mm-hmm. Revelation, um, this just seems to sort of come to the, the forefront in some ways, but it's rooted in everything that, you know, Jesus taught and everything that Paul preached mm-hmm. in line with what Jesus taught. So it's a very strong, um, theme that runs throughout the entire scripture. Absolutely. Um, makes me think of the one of my favorite articles on John's Gospel by uh, Mark Stibbe. It's called The Elusive Christ. Mm. And he talks about uh, how Jesus withdraws his presence repeatedly when the, the Jewish authorities, uh, you know, attempt to stone him, you know, as a sign of God's judgment. Right, uh, right. Even even the, the the temple cleansing in in chapter two is 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 in part you know related to that and Jesus' body being the new temple. So yeah. that definitely resonates. We have a little section in our in our John chapter entitled "God's Elusive Yet Revealed Presence." Yes, <laughs> there you so, go. And of course, up. it's it's an Old Testament theme. Yeah, you know, God the the warning of Him hiding His face. Right. You know, they'll use the term face. Uh, Panim is the main figure of speech for presence throughout the Old Testament, but there's also in all these warning coming judgment passages, one of those judgments is God will hide his face and he will turn away. There'll be a divine absence. And that's what the, the definition of, the, of judgment comes. So it right. carries over into that same. Uh, yeah, aspect. I think even Jesus's critique of the temple is almost like saying, you know, choose where God's presence actually lives. and. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, as as in some ways, the new temple, and then his people as the new temple carries that that theme of relational presence uh, to its you know fulfillment. Yes, yes. And one thing I really like about your book is that it is grounded in actual words that are then. <laughs> broadened into themes and it's a way how you demonstrate that that there is some actual textual support uh, so you start out as you just alluded to with that word panim right the, uh, the the word hebrew word for face and then talk about uh being in in the lord's presence and and i was amazed uh, some of those phrases are used hundreds of times right in the old testament and then so i i like that because i think it it would be possible to write a biblical theology where you focus on themes or on on the whole meta narrative, but but you you don't really show the the grounding in actual we, specific words. We really both of us are are exegetes, and we really wanted to begin with the text yeah. and let the text speak. And we weren't really sure where it was going to take us when we began the journey, but uh, we feel strongly yeah. that it must be and grounded. The, and the challenge was there's so much of it. 
Yeah. I mean, the challenge was putting it into a manageable yes. deal and deciding which which are the critical texts that we need to really go in and do some serious exe exegesis mm -hmm. on. And so we tried to pick the critical ones, you know, yeah. and spend the times that were that were huge. But along the way, I mean, there's, you know, we've we've got folders with stuff that that, that, <laughs> that didn't make didn't. it, you know, because sure. you have a certain limit of, of, of what you can do exegetically. But we wanted to balance that to say, mm -hmm. let's establish this point, especially on those points when we're a little bit uh, uh, counter some prevailing thinking mm -hmm. that sometimes if here's an area where other other scholars and colleagues have taken a view and yeah. we're, we're challenging that, then precisely here we want to make sure that we're solid on our exegetical ground. So we spend a little more time on some of those kinds of issues. Yes, and I, I think um, what I like about your book is that it, that it does have that restraint and the discipline that you're, that you're not uh, veering from uh, your main purpose to demonstrate the viability of uh, the uh, God's relational presence as a, as you call it, a cohesive mm -hmm. center. I, uh, I think of a uh, essay I did for the uh, Havemon edited volume on I think uh, biblical theology retrospect and prospect years ago, uh, where I talk about three integrating motifs in New Testament theology: mm -hmm. uh, Jesus being the Messiah, the gospel, you know, and uh, and uh, just uh, salvation in Him and so forth. So I think uh, I cohesive center I think is a very as our British colleagues would say, a happy term, you know, because <laughs> it, uh, I think it, it gives you some latitude to allow for other major themes Absolutely. that relate. Yes. And, and, uh, um, I'll admit that at first when I saw the book and I, I, I picked up and read it, I, you know, as probably most of us would, I had certain questions like, what about creation? What about covenant? And, I think you're very successful. Of course, you know full well that those would be the the, the, the questions, questions people right. might have. Right. And I think uh, right from the get-go, you you make a clear connection between God's relational presence and some of those other motifs, uh, especially creation and covenant early on in the Old Testament chapter. And so uh, you convinced me that cohesive center uh, for relation as a term for rela God's relational presence does incorporate some of those other major themes like creation and and and, covenant. And, and we, you know, we, we've talked, we talked about this and we had a couple of kind of aha moments about where we're going. Uh, one, and uh, Scott may pick up on this, you know, uh, in, in, in uh, Con Campbell's book where he was, he mentioned the spider web analogy mm -hmm. rather than spokes of a wheel. And mm -hmm. so right. we thought, no, right. that's exactly right. It allows for the complexity but something is the center here Some, that, that connects uh, all of those things together. And that's what we're looking for. And then another aha moment for me a couple of years ago, and I forget who he was critiquing, but Mark Boda was, uh, uh, was talking about biblical theology. And it was somebody's book like ours that was claiming to be the center of biblical theology. <laughs> I, and, right. and, and Mark said, you know, the center is not just which one shows up the most. It's the one that explains the others. Right. And that's the one that gives drives the story, the mega narrative, and 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 explains how these other big motifs play mm -hmm. out. So we said, yeah, that's exactly right. Those other themes are huge: kingdom, glory, re you know, redemption, mm -hmm. creation, all of those. 
but which which theme ties that together and it helps move the story and connects them all together. Yeah. We felt presence, especially right. relational presence, was the one that did that. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we fell in love with this idea of a web, which means you have this connectiveness, but you have flexibility. And the last thing we would want to do would be to pit this against so many of the significant <clears throat> themes that we see in scripture. Mm -hmm. And I think people arguing for a center who do that, um, I think that would be a flawed approach. In but, a too heavy handed, right. uh, kind of straight reductionistic kind exactly. of, right. Yeah. But we, we felt like, well, this theme does drive the plot. Mm -hmm. Um, it does appear extensively, although, uh, you know, you have to understand that it appears in, 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 in many different forms and types, not always, you know, consistent language, but mm -hmm. it does appear. And then it seems to account for so many of the other themes that, uh, we just felt like something's going on here. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, you know, bookends the entire Bible, I think canonically, that's also significant. We had, we had a discussion with the editors, you know, <clears throat> Baker did a great job mm -hmm. uh, of editing, but they questioned the subtitle. Okay. So we had to go back and rethink about it. This, the, yep. you know, the cohesive center of biblical theology. And we talked about it and answered back, said, no, that's exactly what we want to say. It's mm -hmm. very well thought out. It is yes. cohesive. It is the center we are claiming that we think it is sure. the most yep. pervasive one that ties these others together, re realizing that there are other alternative views right. out there that we would be challenging, so to speak. So, right. uh, so we chose that very carefully, uh, the title mm -hmm. that we have. Yeah. And that's, I think another strength of your book that, uh, you know, people know where you're coming from. You have a very clear thesis and you try to defend it and demonstrate it, uh, throughout the book. Um, you know, I, I'm amazed. I, I recently completed work, uh, collaborative work with, with Greg Allison, of mm. course, who's in systematics on the Holy Spirit for, mm. for a new series. And, and so my assignment was, uh, daunting assignment was to, to cover the entire biblical theology, again, Old and New Testament, even though I'm more of a New Testament, uh, you know, scholar. Um, but, um, and then, I found many of the same themes, maybe slightly more narrowly focused on, on uh, passages where the Holy Spirit is the referent, uh, but but I'm sure you can see how, especially in the New Testament, there's just an incredible amount of overlap between what you cover in your oh, book I know. and I know. it's yeah, going to sure. be in our book sure. on the Holy Spirit, sure. inevitably, because the Holy Spirit the is... The new presence of God. <clears throat> yeah, we're not just God in the tabernacle. We're not going to the tabernacle anymore. God's right, right. here, lives within us, the Holy Spirit. It's a... It's a blessing, and wow. it's it's a little bit terrifying. If you, I mean, if you look back <laughs> yeah. at the yeah. in the Old Testament, the qualifications, you know, the holiness, all of these things with approaching mm -hmm. God's presence, and then we realize what Jesus has done for us to allow that us to have that close contact. Yeah. With I think about Gordon Fee's book title on on his mm -hmm. massive work on the Spirit, God's yes. empowering presence. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think this book will serve uh, generations of students very well in, in not even just understanding a major theme in Scripture, but really being able to read the Bible mm. uh, in a way that That's great. That, that, that shows, uh, focusing on the adjective here, that, that the cohesiveness of Scripture, and as you know, uh, 
Carson and others have commented that the challenge for us biblical theologians is to navigate that tension between mm-hmm. diversity and unity in Scripture. And right. and I think you've 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 you've, you've done that. You've, you've shown the underlying unity, the cohesiveness of Scripture, but you've also allowed for sufficient latitude for diversity to mm-hmm. uh, and complexity. And 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 um, I think that uh, that web analogy uh, gets that point across very well. Sometimes an analogies uh, have ways of doing that, yeah, right? That they defy do. just they the do. propositional uh, content. So, uh, yeah, many thanks uh, to both of you for writing such a well-conceived book. I think it's a great idea. I'm sure this will be a very useful text for, for many of us who regularly teach uh, in biblical theology. Thank you for joining us today at Biblical Foundations. For more information, please visit the Center for Biblical Studies at Midwestern at cbs.mbts.edu. For further resources, please also visit biblicalfoundations.org. Please join us again next time at the Biblical Foundations podcast.